This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Right, so here's a topic that many listeners have insisted we cover. And I have to say, I've been reticent. I really have. I've seen the online conversations. I've seen the traction that this issue has garnered. But honestly, from where I stand, and I'm not standing here as an expert of any sort, but I just thought to myself, is this much ado about nothing? Are we just making a big noise for the sake of having a big noise? You know, have have a talking point. It's the start of the year. Not much is happening. So we create fanfare. I'm not sure. but And, and that's my sense. So this is about what's being dubbed hashtag Cape Independence. And this idea that there's a group of people who want to recreate the Cape of Good Hope, which, by the way, is in itself a colonial moniker, the Cape of Good Hope. Right there for me, that's problematic, but that's just for me. And they say they're creating an independent, non-racial, first world sovereign state. And my, you know, background in international affairs is sovereign is the word there. Sovereign state. Um, and they've now founded an online portal where they've asked people to vote. And so that online portal is almost akin to a petition. And if they get an X amount of names on that petition, then then it then gives them impetus to either lobby for the court to start considering this issue. But what I've been told is it would take a long time before this even saw its way before a judge. Because you then first have to, from the petition, see if you could lodge a referendum. And even if there was ultimately a referendum on independence... It's really up to the Constitutional Court whether they recognize the referendum or not. So the referendum becomes an academic exercise because it's not legally binding. And then if somehow you got through all of those hurdles, eventually you then have to petition the international community in the form of the United Nations for your sovereign state. And that would have to be predicated on a little bit more than what you say is a non-racial first world country because you'd have to show a certain level of social and cultural cohesion. And I'm not sure it exists in the Western Cape. So that's me. But let's hear what the experts have to say. And we're joined by Alton Hart, who's an attorney at the University of Johannesburg's Law Clinic. And we also have in studio with me Benedict Peary, who's a legal analyst. So Benedict, good morning. Good morning, Lerato. And good morning to the listeners. Thank you so much. And Alton, always great having you. Good morning. Good morning, Lerat, and good morning to the listeners. Thank you so much. Elton, let's start with you. Section 235 of the Constitution is pretty clear about issues of self-determination. What does it say? Now, obviously, the right of South African people is uh, to do self-determine is manifested in the Constitution, and it doesn't uh, sort of exclude certain things, but there's a framework of this right in how you go about recognizing the, this right of self-determination. And that is what the Constitution says. Obviously, you will have to now approach the various um, players or stakeholders, because Parliament will have to have a say in this. And obviously, one needs to look at the practical implications if you say you want to now follow this route of succession. They normally like to say succession or self-determination. You'll have to now get the necessary people. 
then it will mean that South Africans as a whole will need a passport to go to the Western Cape. So those practical implications already <laughs> has a problem. And it will be a very difficult task for people to come and say that we want to come into a territory that never belonged to us in the first place. And now we want to take that territory and make it ours. Yeah. Okay. So it becomes a, a problem and then it's now also going to fuel political uh, fights, if one can put it that okay. way. I still want to stay on the legal process before we go into some of the cultural, social and historical issues as well. Benedict Peary, the process. So Elton is mentioning Parliament has to have a say in it. I've read there'd need to be a referendum on it. The Constitutional Court would have to have a say in it, even the UN. Could you talk us through the process of secession? Yes, um, and I think it's correct, Lerat. I mean, the very important wording is actually Section 235 that Alton has just recited. Because there, uh, what that section does is it does two things. Firstly, the Constitution reserves the right um, for self-determination to South Africa as a whole. Right. And that's the very first important point that that right is reserved to South African people as a whole and not necessarily to a demographic um, or a segment of the population. But further to your point around Parliament getting involved, Parliament can, however, by national legislation, decide to recognize the right to self-determination of a community which shares a common culture and language heritage. So now that's the second hurdle um, that you'd have to go through. And within that, um, you then have to interpret the Constitution um, as allowing for a right of self-determination over and above that, which then translates us into the international legal space in which event before you'd even have to get out of the starting blocks, one of the first things you'd have to have is a referendum, but that's not the be-all and end-all. You'd also have to show that you've secured the territorial boundary of where you are. Um, And thirdly, there would obviously not be interference uh, from a foreign government, etc. So so you'd have to meet not only these local requirements, which is why this thing is much ado about nothing, but secondly, there has to be an element of recognition from international community of the separate sovereign state, which would as I say, I have to follow uh, those practical um, uh, right. steps to, before you actually get there. So when you say Section 235 of the Constitution recognizes the right of all South Africans to self-determination, I'd like you to clarify what you mean by that, because even within the state of South Africa is Oranya, and that's been allowed to happen. Yes, and I think Oranya is a very... Um, interesting but very disparate example because um, in as much as it operates on a local sphere of government um, and the ability that they have to sort of self-govern and I'm using that word in a very nuanced context given what you're discussing um, within a provincial and a national setup Oranya doesn't exist it basically falls into the provincial and national setup like any other place and is governed provincially and nationally within the overall legal framework of the country. So it wouldn't be a similar um, uh, example because here we're talking about the right to exercise sovereignty, exactly, birthing a new state effectively. Okay, but I still just want, Elton, if you can also help me with the Oranya because people like to cite it. So the people of Oranya say we have a common culture, heritage, and we occupy this little piece of uh, land and it's ours and they've been allowed to do it. So... 
even if that's not sovereignty, it's a form of self-determination. Isn't that a first step? For me, the thing is like what one should never forget that Orande Oranya is a piece of land that's privately owned. So if I own a farm, I can decide I'm building a wall around that farm and I preclude people from coming in and out as um, I choose and deem it necessary and fit. But that for me, it's not um, to say that they are now self-determined, they, they are already on the way of yes. doing things. That is just like your private property rights is guaranteed by the Constitution. You can do on your property within the confines because they okay. cannot, they cannot um, have an airport that's of international status in there where people would fly yeah. from Lesotho to Orania. Yeah. They can't do that. So they still have to obey the national laws of South Africa. Then it means that, yes, you might in your little um, um, um Ideology that you, yeah. yeah that you have that you saying I'm busy self-determining because of my culture, but then we would also look at your culture itself. That this doesn't distinguish you from any other thing okay. that's happening in South Africa. Because what you're doing in Oranya is duplicated somewhere else in South Africa. Just go next to Bloemfontein. The people speak Afrikaans. They bribe place like you would bribe place. So it's like not really your okay. own local culture that you have there. Okay. So for me, people should not even say that they've done it. And I know now, okay. here outside Joburg, I think it's 100 kilometers uh, towards uh, the Porch of Sturm area. There's also another pop-up sort of little <laughs> own um, country that they're trying to develop. But it, it can never happen. It can never happen. We've got a constitution okay. and you need to adhere to the constitution. Although you have this right to self-determination, our constitution, there's still okay. parliament and the courts okay. that you'll have to go through, and then the international community. All right. Okay, so I love the description you've made. So Orania Tantamount, from where you're standing, even though it may be hectares and hectares of land, it's more like a body corporate managing a gated community. But that gated yes. community must still subscribe to the municipal laws, provincial yes. laws, and the national laws. It's, it, might, it might have its own rules on how you use swimming pools. That's fine. But it's ultimate fundamental relations, human to human, legal, uh, as per the Republic of South Africa. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I get it. So self-determination then, what does it mean, Benedict Piri? Because here we're talking 7.4 million people who live in the Western Cape. Many of them, for all intents and purposes, speak Afrikaans. And many of them speak Isitkosa. And so they have those common cultural threads. But Elton said a very important thing. The Cape of Good Hope was not some barren land that was found by Jan van Riebeck. It was a construct, a colonial construct built on the blood, sweat and tears of indigenes, slaves from Malaysia and Indonesia, and using very, very brutal draconian colonial laws. So to hanker for a Cape of Good Hope is actually to hanker for a colonial enclave. I would certainly say so, and certainly from the way that um, at least a couple of these groups describe themselves, uh, which you had indicated at the beginning of the discussion, um, that is not a hankering uh, for the protection of a common language and cultural heritage, which in itself is heavily contested. Um, that is a hankering uh, you know, to colonial heritage. 
Um, and, and I think there's nothing in here that would justify legally that what we have meets the definition uh, of self-determination, at least as we have it in the Constitution. Helton, your views here, because you're the one who said, you know, they're talking about a colonial land. But I'll add, also like to throw in the caveat that that 7.4 million that they say is a homogenous or... Um, a non-racial group. Cape Town is a highly segregated society, and it's it's and and even if most people speak Afrikaans, they speak Afrikaans, but the 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 social strata is so clearly divided by race and class in the Western Cape. It is, and we shouldn't pretend it isn't. No, that's indeed so. And the thing is, like people, uh, I think they they have these um, blinkers on when they look about look at certain things. And uh, as Benedict pointed out. The right to self-determination is to the South African people. Now, who's the South African people? It means people from Limpopo, Mpumalanga, KwaZulu-Natal, Northwest Free State, Eastern Cape, Northern Cape, Western Cape, all has a say if a portion of their land is going to be taken away by a certain group. They will have to have a say in that. So that referendum that they have in their head will never happen. It will never come to fruition. It will never succeed because the entire country will have to have a say if they're going to um, give away a piece of their land. Because I'm sitting maybe up in Limpopo, but I've got family down in Cape Town. So it's not going to happen. And these people must um, think that there is international laws. And you need to now look at how are you going to actually set up an army, for instance, because you need to protect, be able to protect your borders and from where are they going to come. You need to have a navy. Now the South African Navy base is sitting down in Simonstown in Cape Town. Are you now going to say to the South African government, if you somehow have this notion that you're going to take away a piece, that you have to now move your naval base to, to Durban? No, it can't. It's like they have this dream in their head that will never materialize and that's how, it's like that's a, it's like you're taking you you flogging a dead horse. Mm-hmm. You can take it to court and try and do it. You're just going to waste good money. That's mm-hmm. all I can say. Okay, so the referendum component, uh, I think this is interesting. I thought it would just be people in the Western Cape participating. Alton says it would be the whole of South Africa voting on whether or not they recognize and agree that Cape Town can become a new country. I, I agree with uh, Helton's interpretation, given how Section 235 reads, that, that that right belongs to the country as a whole uh, and not just a certain demographic of people. Um, but I think also of problematic, con- you know, what, what is actually concerning about uh, the hunkering to the colonial past is that, you know, the Constitution in itself is interpreted and framed from a human rights perspective. I mean, the foundational values... So, you know, to the extent that you would stand up and say that actually we have a constitutional right to secede Mm. uh, as the Cape of Good Hope, that would still have to come within the framework of the broader human rights move in this country. And certainly I would, you know, that would be a very big hurdle that that would fail given its historic underpinnings, essentially. Okay, so something that has been alluded to, but I'd like you just to point it out for us clearly. What is the... What is the criteria or the essence of a nation, sovereign nation state? When we talk about a country being a country, and we won't go into the whole, you know, conference of Berlin, colonial borders, etc. It's done now. That's done. It's, it's too late. But what 
how does the world define a sovereign state? What would need to happen? So Elton's spoken about an army, that sort of thing. What are the basic checkpoints? I think boxes? practically you'd obviously need a government. Um, you know, if, when we're talking practical components, you'd need a way to secure the borders that we've spoken, which is use precedentis under international law. Um, and, you know, the various aspects that would give rise to that. But I think the, the concept as a whole really speaks to the ability of a state, a community of people to determine their political status and freely pursue the economic, social and cultural development. I think, you know, whatever you can fit in that to give effect to that practically, that's really the notion that you're seeking uh, when you say this is a state. And so this issue of 7.4 million people being a a non-homogenous group is where some of those social variables fail because that expression of a culture and a nation doesn't quite exist. Not all Cape Tonians like each other. Exactly. That's exactly where it would fail. Um, you know, it's, it's the language aspect and the cultural aspect. And again, hotly contested, you know, historical uh, narratives there. Okay. Now, Elton, in the modern day, though, uh, in other words, in my lifetime, your lifetime and Benedict's lifetime, we have seen new countries emerge. We have seen East Timor. We have seen in 2011 uh, South Sudan. Uh, in the early 90s, we saw the breakaway of Eritrea from Ethiopia. Um, and of course, we still are observing the battle between Morocco and Western Sahara. But that's also moved leaps and bounds. So it is quite possible in this 2024 or this modern era for new countries to come into formation. The world map, as we know, it is not cast in stone. No. That is obviously true. That's why there is uh, this right to self-determination that is set out in our constitution because we are not uh, oblivious to the fact that international law exists and our constitution speaks to where our law falls short. We need to look at international law to develop our own law. But I'm coming now also not just looking this as like um, one-sided. I need to look at it from a legal stance but also knowing the political history and where we come from as a country as a whole, then I know that this is a, a it's like it's like what one would say, it's a futile exercise, mm-hmm. that you would want to do that. Yes, you can do it, given that you need to meet the various legal requirements to pass it, get the South African population as a whole to buy in. And we know from political um, knowledge that, the Western Cape has always been seen as where a certain racial grouping uh, is trying to make a little kingdom for themselves and think that they can govern South Africa from that little kingdom. And that doesn't sit well with the rest of South Africa. So yeah. for them to go into that referendum exercise will not work. And then to still jump these uh, uh, political hoops, which is parliament, all those, yeah. other, and then get to the court to say that please develop the law in line with international law. Right. You need to make out a good case. In those other countries, there was certain things called war on the cards yeah. that necessitated uh, that these countries be split because there will be sort of half something about genocide going to happen. In yeah. South Africa, there's no genocide happening. Yeah.
Okay. And that opens up a whole nother conversation as well about whether this manufactured narrative about a white genocide is, is being used to beef up this argument as well. Uh, Lucky, good morning. Morning, Lerato. How are you? Fine, thank you, sir. Very briefly, we don't have much time. Thanks. Lerato, I want to start about this Cape Independent. Yeah. You know, Lerato, people come far beyond our seas and come here and want to do Cape Independent. On whose land? This is our land. The government, the government of the day shouldn't allow the people, particularly these white people coming far, 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 coming here with their grandfather's tendencies to come and steal our land. But with this government, with this government of people who are thinking with their stomach, not with their head, This one is going to gain momentum and this one may happen if we still have this government of the day in power. We should remove this government of ANC of people who only think of their stomach and thinking by their stomach not with their head. Thank you, Lucky. Thank you, Lucky. I think we've established that this would have to go to parliament, then there'd have to be a national referendum. It would need to pass too many legal tests and it just simply won't. Uh, But nonetheless, Lucky raises an interesting point, which is, yes, we live in an era of freedom of expression. My understanding is that freedom of expression is not limitless. You can talk, but you can't talk to the extent that you impugn other people's dignity, etc., etc., so when does a conversation like Cape, Cape Independence become a dangerous conversation, if at all, Benedict? I think it's already a dangerous conversation because the um, expectation that it, it is setting is actually non-existent and futile. So it has um, an element of preying on people that don't know better um, and really exploiting them. So I really believe already we've gone too far uh, on a conversation that's, you know, a pie in the sky effectively. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. Elton Hart, attorney, uh, also at the University of Johannesburg's Law Clinic and also Benedict Piri, legal analyst. Is this the moment to say I told you so? Maybe not. <laughs> You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.